Hello, Believers. This is Dr. Shante, and welcome to another episode of Believing Bigger Podcast. In fact, welcome to season six of Believing Bigger Podcast. Did you miss me? I know you did because y'all been blowing me up (laughs) on social media. Like, hey, we glad you on vacation, but when this podcast coming back, hey, when you going to drop that new episode? Hey, so I'm all caught up on the podcast. When is your next episode coming? Here it is. Okay, it's been a long time. I shouldn't have left you. But um, no, actually, I, I should have. You know, it's, it's necessary to take a step back and to look at things in retrospect. I think that sometimes we often get into the habit of moving from thing to thing to thing without stopping to consider where we're moving to. Like, you know, we're just going, going, going without a clear destination in mind. And, you know, sometimes we get into this business of just, you know, checking boxes. Well, I've done this and I've done that. You know, well, I've done the podcast and I've done the blog and I've written the book and I've done, you know, and we just keep looking for another box to check without really taking the time to see what kind of impact that's having in the world and in the people that we care about. And so it was definitely necessary for me to take some time off longer than usual, I will admit, to really see what I wanted to do this season and how I wanted to grow this season and how I wanted to create impact uh, this season and how I wanted to do that with you. And so I'm excited about season six. Um, Unlike previous seasons, you know, where you wait from week to week to week to week to week to get a new episode. Um, You guys are going to get a slew of episodes all at once. And that allows me the time and the bandwidth to really activate and cultivate and nurture the Believers in Action community, which you guys are going to hear so much about over these next few episodes. But without any further ado, let's get right into our first episode. Episode one, The Lost Sheep. Victory over isolation. So I told you guys that season six was all about victory. Social listening is the practice of going through social media. So Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and listening to people. So not just, you know, reading the posts and responding to the posts, but kind of like listening with your heart, you know, and not necessarily with your eyes. And, you know, if you take a a scroll through social media, people are really struggling. People are struggling with relationships. People are struggling with themselves. People are struggling with where they are in life. Um, and it's, it's not where they thought it would be. You know, people have all kinds of struggles. But this season, I wanted to focus on victory, on how we navigate those struggles and how we come out of the fog. And so the first episode, The Lost Sheep, is about overcoming isolation. And our guiding thought or scripture for this episode is Matthew 18, 12 to 13. And it says this, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the other one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. So today we're going to be talking about victory over isolation, specifically wandering away, the danger of being lost and the good shepherd. So let's kick it off with wandering away. So what does it mean to wander? So wandering happens when a sheep gets separated from the flock or from the shepherd. And so what does this look like? 
being separated for an extended period of time, you know, so you are, are isolated from your support system or from your community or from friends and family, or you experience a sense of loss caused by a break in fellowship. So, you know, it used to be cool with people, it used to be cool with a certain group, and, and you know, there was a, a break in that fellowship, and, and now you have a sense of loss because you don't have that community anymore. Wandering away looks like drifting and isolation. You know, as much as we love our technological toys, you know, you have to admit that it has caused many of us to be more texters than talkers. Like we'll see the phone ringing and be like, oh, I don't want to talk because it requires affective energy that we don't want to give. And when I say affect, I mean, not affective, affect, A-F-F-E-C-T. It requires affective energy that we don't want to give that we find more comfort in texting than rather than talking because we just can't muster up the energy and we get so used to that form of isolation and it causes us to drift. Um, wandering away can bring about a sense of despair where you start to doubt whether, you know, you're really saved. You know, sometimes you get so far away from God where you start to wonder if your salvation took, <laughs> you know, if, if what you believed is, is enough because you haven't read your Bible in a while and you haven't been to church in a while. And, you, and if you're being honest, you really haven't felt like it. And somewhere in your spirit, you know, you know that you ought to get back, you know, but you just haven't been able to find that zeal that you once had to do that sort of thing. And, you know, you start to doubt whether or not you're really saved or if you've gone so far off the, the path that, you know, you're not able to get back to the place where you once had that love and that passion and that excitement for God. And all of that, you know, that isolation, that wandering, that drifting, that break, you know, all of that happens for a number of reasons. There's a number of reasons why we wander. And it can be very subtle or it can be very abrupt. You know, I think that sometimes we get in the habit of doing things. And, you know, when you've drifted, you don't realize how far you've drifted until you wake up one day and be like, wow, there's been a drastic shift in this relationship, or there's been a drastic shift in the way that I feel about a group of people, or there's been a drastic shift, you know, in the way that I feel about being part of any sort of community. And if it happens abruptly, you know, those things are more obvious. So when it's abrupt, you know, it's usually triggered by an event, something like a, a death in the family or a sudden change in your job, uh, going back to school or a newborn baby or a conflict or altercation, you know, within the church or hypocrisy in the church, like something happens and it just viscerally and physically just kind of like rips you away from the fold. And in those instances, we're kind of like reeling and, and coping with the emotions of that thing that just happened. And those are the, the reasons that are obvious. But for many of us, it can also happen very subtly. Technology has forced a lot of us into isolation. You know, people, like I said earlier, they don't like talking on the phone or they feel anxious when they have to sit and engage in a room full of people. You know, all of a sudden we have social anxiety, like this increase in social anxiety because we just don't want to be around people anymore. And nowadays you can get Jesus on a podcast or in your living room on the internet or on an app, you know, at, at Bedside Baptist, you know, why waste the gas and go deal with all them folks, you know, when I can get a sprinkle of Jesus right here, you know, in my bedroom, you know, that technology does that. It, it has created that. It's like, it's a tool, yes, but you know, the way the enemy works is that he can take any tool and turn it into a weapon to separate you from the flock. People have come to prefer, you know, Netflix 
over networking. Like, oof, I could be sitting up here with a blanket and, and my pillow and my Jiffy Pop popcorn and my Pepsi or whatever. And I don't have to go out here. Hi, my name is. And do you want to collaborate? I don't want to collaborate. I don't want to deal with you. I don't want to have to put on the face. I don't want to have to put on the airs. I don't want to have to build meaningful relationships. I'd rather Netflix and chill. Actually, you know what? Let me not say Netflix and chill because, you know, I looked that up one day because that people kept saying it. And I literally thought that Netflix and chill meant that you put on Netflix, grabbed a blanket, some popcorn and like chilled. But it does not mean that so, and you have to look it up for yourself because I'm just not going to go there on this podcast today. But um, yeah, I digress. Um, But it goes without saying that, you know, technology can lead you to some places that you have absolutely no business going to. You in certain groups or you on certain sites or you watching certain things and, you know, you just listen to certain messages. And so technology, like I said, it's a tool, but the tool in the hands of the enemy who is consistently seeking a way to devour you, it becomes weaponized. Okay. And if you take a look through social media, look how negative and nasty social media has become. One of the things that I did while I was on break is I I read a lot of books. And one of the books that I read was uh, Gabrielle Union's book, Uh, We're Going to Need More Wine. And she's very raw and explicit about her struggles with infertility and how she struggled to have a baby and and has had many miscarriages and, you know, just the heartbreak of that. And that's just such a a desire for her. Well, she recently, her and, and her husband, they delivered a baby via surrogate and she posted pictures. And when I saw it, I was like, oh my gosh, she got her baby. She got her baby. Like I was just so happy for her. But then you scroll through the comments why is she in the hospital gown like she just pushed the baby out? Why um is, is her hair all up in the bun? You know, like she done did some work. Why? And I'm just like, wow. Like that is that is what technology has done to us. It has it has brought us to the least common denominator that we are so separated and so isolated that it is hard for us, for many of us to to remember the conventions of basic compassion and humanity. We've gotten so used to not having genuine relationships with people and we've gotten so used to having these digital friends who really don't know your story, but these digital friends and these, hey, boo, hey, and hey, girl, hey, you know, these phony Joni routines, you know, we've gotten so accustomed to that, that we have lost the basic components of human compassion and genuine care. The Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. So here's a woman who has a genuinely joyous moment in her life and people, our people, black people, okay, are just tearing her down to the studs. And I'm just like, wow, is that who we have become? Is that what technology has given us the license to do? Was that the cost of sharing your happiness with other people? And when people see that, what it does is it causes other people to hesitate about sharing their happiness and their joys and their triumphs and their moments of overcoming for fear that somebody is going to tear them down. And that is exactly what the enemy wants. He wants you to stifle your testimony. He wants you to hide your light under a bush so that we get consumed in the darkness. And so we need to wake up and and call people out on their lack of humanity. 
And then there's people like me, you know, so wandering away, getting back to that, you know, wandering away. Introversion, I am a classic introvert. Like nobody believes that. But baby, when I tell you I can thrive in my fortress of solitude, <laughs> like just me, myself and I and have myself a jolly good time. You know, I'm I'm the I'm one of the people in the family, you know, like that rare introvert that I'm like, no, I don't have to come to the family function, you know, like I'm just okay by myself. But introverts, you know, people like us, you know, we look for excuses not to have to, you know, interact with people and have to go out and and engage and, and, you know, expend that energy because, you know, we find it draining and what have you, you know. But again, even the enemy can find ways to weaponize that. Introverts, they say, oh, I hope that, that somebody will cancel this appointment. I hope somebody will decide it's too cold to go out so that they don't actually have to go out and interact. Introverts, they thrive in isolation. But when isolation becomes extended, it can absolutely become problematic because God created us. He said from the very beginning, it's not good for man to be alone. He said, it's not good for you to be in isolation. It's not good for you to be by yourself. And so he created us so that we would would love and grow and nurture one another in a spirit of, of community. And when you get isolated from those relationships for too long, it can change you. It can change the very core of your essence to the point where you don't even like people anymore. And you convince yourself and tell yourself that I'm better off by myself, you know, and I don't need nobody for this. And I don't want to have to ask nobody for nothing. And I don't want to have to depend and, and all of that. Ask yourself, if you're saying those types of things, where are those messages come from? And when you start to interpret things like accountability as judgment, it becomes a problem. The beauty of accountability is an acknowledgement of a vulnerability that you have and says that there's something in my life that is a struggle for me or my road to success is a bit labored in this area. And so if I have people to hold me accountable to to encourage me to make sure that I get up so that I can get closer to my goals, that's a good thing. But when you become isolated, people try to hold you accountable. Why are you all up in my business? What did you do last night? Or what did you do yesterday morning? Or why are you talking about me? Why don't I talk about you? You know, it can become a totally different thing. And when your thoughts and your actions are more in line with your personal agenda. So when you wake up in the morning thinking about, you know, what's up with you? And you go to bed at night thinking about what's up with you? And you've kind of gotten away from the needs of other people or you've gotten away from, you know, God's plan for your life. It can become problematic further when you start making decisions without consulting God. Let's pause for station identification. Okay, you know, like when you start making decisions without the Lord because you haven't talked to him in so long and you you got it, you can handle it. That's a, that's an indication of wandering away. You know, when you find yourself going through the motion, you at church, but you ain't really in church. You know, you're just there, you know, like you're punching a clock, you, you're coming in and you're going out, you know, and you just don't have any real engagement. When God's word doesn't penetrate and ignite your heart the way that it used to, you know, you used to be able to sit through a good sermon. And now, you know, five minutes in, you're reaching for your phone because you just can't focus and concentrate. And God is sending you signs and you, and you just keep ignoring them when it becomes harder and harder for you to live inside of God's will. Things that you would never compromise on once upon a time, all of a sudden you're like, well, well, God knows my heart. Well, you know, ain't nobody perfect. Well, you know, I mean, please, what about all the years where I wasn't doing so-and-so? I mean, I can't indulge every now and then. I mean, my goodness, you know, just things that, that your whole attitude 
has changed. And when you have wandered away, you know, and I know I've covered a lot of territory under this category, but when you've wandered away, you have officially become a lost sheep, which brings us to the dangers of isolation. Ecclesiastes 4.9.10 says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who was alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. So what is woe? Woe is a condition of deep suffering from misfortune, affliction, or grief. Woe means ruinous trouble, calamity, or affliction. Okay, so when the Bible says, woe to him who was alone when he falls and does not have another to lift him up. In other words, he's saying you will experience deep suffering and misfortune, ruinous trouble, and calamity. When you fall, you might have it together for a little while, but there always comes a time where we're going to need some help from somebody. And when you have isolated yourself and you've distanced yourself and you've gotten so comfortable in your cocoon of insulation, you know, where you don't need anybody and and you don't want anybody's input and things like that, the Bible says that ruinous calamity is waiting for you because you don't have another person there to help you when you fall. And as a believer, you can never lose sight of the fact that you have a constant enemy, a clear and present danger. First Peter 5, 8, be sober minded, be vigilant, which means to be watchful for your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour devour, to eat up greedily, ravenously, to use up or destroy. This is what the enemy, your adversary, the devil wants to do. And he is consistently circling the perimeter, looking for an opportunity to infiltrate, looking for an opportunity to strike. And so if a predator is looking for a vulnerability in his prey, What better way to attack than to get him away from the protection of the shepherd and the visibility of the flock? You know, when I was in in college, I went through domestic abuse prevention training, and they teach that one of the classic tactics of abusers is to isolate the victim away from their support system, away from family, away from friends, away from coworkers, away from church members. And you know, many of you who have had friends and family that have been in a domestic Uh, abuse situation, you know that that's exactly what happens. All of a sudden, you know, they're not coming to the family functions. All of a sudden, they're too scared to come out or they making excuses or a girl, I tripped and fell. You know, they don't want to come around because they don't want nobody asking too many questions. You know, they're receiving threats and they just don't know how to communicate that and they feel embarrassed and ashamed. And so that's what the abuser does. The abuser pulls you away from your support system away from visibility, away from somebody who can watch your back, away from somebody who can ask some critical questions. He pulls you away from that and then swoops up on your mindset and start have you believing that the people that have always loved and nurtured and cared about you don't care about you at all. That's what the enemy does. Years, years ago, you know, when my mother was married to her first husband, he was very abusive. We lived in Michigan within a stone's throw away from family. Okay, so I've, I've been through this. Michigan, we lived about four hours away in Ypsilanti, Michigan, which is like a suburb outside of like Ann Arbor, you know, like that Detroit type area. And he would abuse, but he would keep it in certain limits because he knew that people could access him. So that if my mama called, my granddaddy would be right there on the highway with brothers in tow, you know, coming to find out what's going on. So he was abusive verbally and, you know, he would he would grab and he would push. But 
he kind of kept it in check for the most part because there was family within the vicinity that could come and, and check out the situation. But after years of living there, we moved to Florida because he insisted that Michigan was too cold, you know, and I can't thrive in this cold and, and, and you know, we need to get out of here and da 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 So in an effort to make him happy, my mother relocated us and moved us all the way down to Florida, hundreds and hundreds of miles away from friends and family. And sure enough, that's when the abuse escalated tenfold, okay? We did not, like, it was so bad. We didn't even live in Florida six months. That's how bad it was. We didn't even last a year because the minute we got down there, he acted an entire fool. And why did he do that? Because he knew that there was not that same accountability as it was when we were closer to friends and family. So the dangers of isolation are these. You know, when you drift away from God, the enemy has you exactly where he wants you. He'll use technology to make you feel inadequate, to desensitize you, to make you doubt God, you know, or he'll use your introversion as a way to attack your mind and have you thinking that the people that love you are really out to get you. He'll blur the lines between Christians and church folks so that you can't tell the difference. And if you miss my, my series on Christians versus church folks, then go ahead and, and circle back to, to uh, season five. Because there are some clear distinctions between Christians, people who truly love the Lord, and church folks, okay, religious people. And the enemy, he'll have you looking for comfort and peace everywhere but God. Because what you see on social media or what you see on TV seems like people are finding happiness everywhere but God. And the sole purpose of all of that is to destroy you, is to devour you, is to get you by yourself so he can have his way with you to leave you so broken and so bitter and so jaded and so hopeless and so anxious and so restless that you can barely function, let alone thrive in the purpose that God has called you to. John 10, 10 says the thief comes only but to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. And so I'm not saying, okay, let, let me be real loud and real clear, okay? I'm not saying that you always have to be in the midst of people in order to succeed, okay? Sometimes, you know, it's too many cooks in the kitchen, you know, and you need to get somewhere by yourself. Jesus did that all the time. He went off to a mountain to pray, or he went off to a garden to pray, or he told the disciples, you know what? Y'all take the boat and y'all go ahead. I'm gonna catch up. He always took that time for himself to connect with God, to, to find his peace and to recenter. He always did that. But you know what else he always did? He always came back to the group. He always came back to the group, which brings us to the good shepherd. John 10, 11, 12 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and run away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. Listen, you cannot pay for what God is offering you. You can hire security and you still can't sleep at night. God is saying to you, you are mine. You are my kids. You are my sheep. You are my babies. You tell me one mother, whether she got a kid or 10 kids, if one of her children go missing, she ain't like, oh, well, you know, we got three more, so you win some, lose some. I'm like, no, 
full stop. Stop everything. Call the police. Call, call, put out an Amber Alert. Somebody, where is my child? Even when kids get good and grown, your mama don't hear from you for a while. Full stop. Where is my child? That's what God is saying. You, you know, he's saying, I always am concerned about your well-being and your whereabouts. And that's something that money just cannot buy. He says, because you are precious to me. And because you are precious to me, when you are lost, I'm going to go looking for you. And so that friend that's been trying to call you or text you, is everything okay? When you got an attitude, are you asking me if everything okay with me? Is everything okay with you? That friend, that's God using somebody to come looking for you. Or that, per- that church member that you ran into in the store was like, hey, you know, I ain't seen you in a while. You know, is, how's everything going? Church folks are all up in your business. You know, you, just because you ain't there on Sunday don't mean I ain't listening to the sermons. You know, it, all of that. God is trying to get your attention. He's trying to pull you back into the group because he knows what's out there in the wilderness. He knows who's out to get you and he knows what will happen if they succeed. God is saying you belong to me and because you do, I will leave 99 other sheep and bring you back into the fold. And when I bring you back into the fold, I will be happier that I brought you back into the fold than I was about the 99 who stayed put. He says, I care for you. I will fight for you until the death. I will face the enemy on your behalf, which brings us back to our text. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly, I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. Luke 15, 17 says, I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Listen, God is not looking for the goody two shoes, okay? The apple polisher, the bootlicker, the holy roller with the perfect attendance every Sunday. He is looking for the lost, for the broken for the strays, for the ones who dropped the ball, okay? Don't allow your circumstances. Don't allow the fact that you've drifted away. Don't allow your isolation to make you ever one time think that God is not A, looking for you, and B, waiting for you to come home, and C, trying to access you to pull you back into the fold. It's okay if you wandered away. He specializes in that. It says heaven rejoices more over the ones who slipped out and came back. So the question is, do you want to be found? That's the decision that you have to make. Do you want to be found? Do you want to have that same zeal and passion and enthusiasm that you used to have? Do you want to have those healthy relationships? Do you want to have fellowship? Do you want to have somebody looking out for you? Do you want to have that? Do you want to be found? And if you want to be found, you are literally one prayer away from God intervening on your behalf. And when you do pray, he will be so happy to have you back in the fold. No questions asked. So that is the end of episode one, season six. And listen, 
Believers, you know, I always end these episodes saying if you got comments, questions, hit me up at Dr. Shante Says. But you know what? We in season six now. I want you to do more than that. I want you to join Believers in Action. One of the questions that has come up is, you know, what about pod class? Are you still going to be doing pod class? Well, pod class has changed. You know, if you want to talk about the episode that you heard, join the community and get the details about how to share your takeaways. Because now I'm going to be talking directly with the listeners, with the community members. And so we're going to conference about all of these episodes, you know, and you can share your takeaways and your questions and, you know, get other student feedback like in the community. And so if you want to do that, you know, join Believers in Action. One of the things that I'm excited about with this community is being able to offer spiritual food to strengthen your faith. And that's going to be moderated by me and other believers in our digital community. I I love our moderators, you know, and they're as excited to help you as I am. And then, you know, there's just tools, practical strategies to help you grow your platform and to help you increase the capacity to have impact in the world. And so if you are wanting to do all of that, then go ahead and head to readytobelieve.com. And there you will find me and the membership and the moderators and the downloads and all that good stuff. I will see you guys next time.